from midway through November, it is a Tuesday, it is almost Thanksgiving, it is Brandon's World, I am Brandon Moore, the executive host and producer of the Brandon's World. Welcome to our week and NFL recap. Before we get there, you already know our social media links are in the description below. We are in collaboration with Voltage Live tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday. Me and my partner, Josh Younger, over on Championship Brains, we're breaking down all of the Week 10 NFL action in depth. Before I get to my recap, I have to start off today's show by talking about maybe the biggest story in all of sports that came down Friday afternoon. That being, of course, Jim Harbaugh's suspension from Michigan for the rest of the regular season from the Big Ten. Now, when I talked about this last week, not only in the Brands World Podcast, but on championship rings, I've been saying that in college football, um, we do know that obviously teams use signs all the time. They don't have the wire, the headset communication that the NFL has in terms of coach and quarterback because the NCAA claims it's too hard to put a wire and a headset, which nobody understands. Um, we do know there have been some allegations of Michigan cheating, obviously stealing singles, to, you know, the, the defense telling the players whether it's going to be a run or a pass. Um, which, again, can give you an advantage, but it doesn't always mean that you're flat out going to stop every play. You know, a defense can know a run is coming. A defense can know a pass is coming. It just depends on if you can stop it. Um, and also, in in that regard, you know how long it takes for somebody to deliver a single to a coach, for a coach to deliver a single to a player, for that player to deliver a single to the team, all within the amount of time as the offensive side and the other side of the ball is running their play and getting set up, and they have to run all of their strategic adjustments. I don't think it's a huge advantage. Now, Michigan, did they do something? Probably, we believe they did. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not affecting the outcome of games, I believe. If Michigan was 4-4 four and four and not dominating people, Nobody would care about it. And I thought it was oddly strange that the Big Ten decided to suspend Michigan and Jim Arbaugh while Jim Arbaugh was essentially flying with the team from Michigan to Penn State for one of their biggest games of the year, which Michigan did end up winning anyway, uh, 24 to 15. It felt like a vendetta against Michigan from the Big Ten. For some reason, it feels that the Big Ten, to me, is afraid of Jim Arbaugh. I don't know if it's his personal rivalries, again, with the whites of Maryland, Penn State, Ohio State. We know there's more schools coming into the Big Ten this year, but those don't have any say over what's going on right now, obviously. Uh, but it just feels like, for some reason, the Big Ten wants Harbaugh out of Michigan. They want Jim Arbaugh to go to the NFL. And I'm not a Michigan fan. I'm not a fan of one college football team. I am a fan of good college football. If there's one college football game I make sure I watch every year, it's Ohio State and Michigan. And to me, this just smells of pettiness from the Big Ten, it is accusing somebody, you know, Ohio State fans, don't get rolled up with me in the comment section below, whether it's on the audio version or the video version, 
of this podcast because nobody was coming after you about the tattoo gate in 2010 and you were defending your players for religiously. Um, I think if the shoe was on the other foot here, Ohio State players would be the same thing that Michigan players would be saying right now. And that, you know, again, it's not affecting the overall outcomes of games. Michigan is dominating people. They're blowing people off the ball. Now, they only won by nine points this week against Penn State. And as I tweeted out on Friday, if Michigan were to lose the game, everybody would say, see, they only win because they cheat. And if they won the game by about seven to ten points, which is what I predicted anyway, because I knew that Penn State was going to give them a good fight, just like Penn State gave Ohio State a good fight. People would say, oh, see, they, they don't dominate people anymore without cheating. They're going to get exposed by Ohio State. Listen, I think Michigan and Ohio State have very similar resumes. I think they are the two best teams in the country. I think Michigan's offensive and defensive lines are a little bit better. I think the big difference in the game in Ann Arbor in a couple weeks will be J.J. McCarthy, the first-round quarterback, of course, for Michigan. But I think that this NCAA now, they've given Michigan uh, extra fuel. I did not like the decision of, again, rushing into, into a decision. Uh, the Big Ten has no proof that Michigan actually did do this, this sign stealing. And, you know, again, it, it's it's all allegations. It's like throwing somebody in prison for allegations. Um, you, you know, you really can't do that without evidence that a crime has been committed. Again, if there's evidence a crime has been committed, whether it be a suspension of Jim Harbaugh, whether it be a bull ban, absolutely you know, that it's earning the intention of the game. I don't think it's turning the intention of the game. I think it's a rush to judgment, and I think the fact that Michigan is fighting so hard for this. Now, I've always said in law cases like this, if you're guilty, right, everybody's going to fight for themselves, obviously, but if you're guilty, you're not going to go to the lines of testifying court and think you have a chance to win basically because you know you have no shot you're just delaying the inevitable and you know you know the situation that's going to happen here i feel like michigan has a legitimate chance i think harbaugh wants to get this flipped i think he wants to be on the sideline for ohio state if i'm an ohio state fan slash player i do not want harbaugh on that sideline obviously because of the motivating factors that it will bring for that game. All of a sudden now, Michigan, Maryland this week on Fox because must watch TV. Obviously, next week, Ohio State, Michigan, it's must watch TV. And, you know, we'll see where it all goes. But I'm not a rush to judgment guy. Again, do I think Michigan probably stole some signs? Yeah. Do I think it should lead to a suspension? No. Uh, do I think it's affecting the outcome of games? No. I think Michigan is the best team in the country. And I think until we approve that they, you know, deliberately stole all these signs, they knew everybody's played before they would happen. And that's why it's leading to 50 point points every week. Then uh, the Big Ten shouldn't have done anything about it. And I think overall, it's just a big rush to judgment. You know, yesterday in his press conference, Jim Harbaugh said Michigan is America's team. And while I don't feel like that, I do feel like that this will galvanize the Michigan team and their run this year towards a national championship. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, week 10 of the National Football League. We said it was going to be one of the worst slates in the history of the National Football League, and turned out we had more game-winning field goals 
this week than any other week in NFL history. It makes sense, right? When you have bad teams, when you have not great teams, they're going to be close, more low-scoring games. Some of them were high-scoring games. The majority of them were low-scoring games. That ultimately comes down to what many people say, a non-football player. And you can make an argument after this week, outside of the quarterback position, the second-best player on a football team or the second-most-important player on a football team, I should say, is the kicker. So without further ado, let's get into Week 10. This game was decided by three points on Thursday night, Bears over Carolina. We knew going in Bryce Young versus Tyson Bajan. I thought Bryce Young would have his best performance of the season. Uh, I was wrong. Carolina looked like a mess. Bryce Young looked scared back there in the pocket. We've seen glimpses in some tape of Bryce Young over the first 10 weeks. Obviously, the Week 2 game against the Saints on Monday Night Football. But this was the first time everybody, I think, had a great chance to see Bryce Young. And you noticed it, man. He made some good plays when he stepped in the pocket and found guys. And obviously, the Panthers' defense kept doing the ball game because Tyson Bajan wasn't doing much for Chicago. But for the majority of ass-blocking snaps, and Kirk Herbstreit made this point in the Amazon broadcast, by the time Bryce Young drops back, I mean, there's defensive linemen all in his lap. He really doesn't, doesn't have any choice. I think Carolina wants to get back to running the football, though they can't because they don't have a great run-blocking offensive line. They need to get another wide receiver outside of Adam Thielen. There were reports out there that they were you know, looking at Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, at the trade deadline, uh, could not make a deal, which, again, from Vegas's perspective, which we'll get into uh, as we get to the Sunday night game, it makes sense. But Carolina knows they they, they need to upgrade the one for Bryce Young. Listen, I'm still a Bryce Young believer. I think the kid has plenty of talent. I think he has enough talent to be a franchise quarterback in the National Football League. I thought Frank Reich in this tenure with, with Carolina was going to work um, a lot better than it did. But at the end of the day here, you know, Carolina is going to start winning games. Maybe not this year, but next year they don't win games. Frank Wright could be on the outs. If Bryce Young doesn't start winning, that whole thing could be a disaster. Um, I think Carolina is going to win a couple games here. They obviously have some divisional games with the White of Atlanta and Tampa and another, and another one against New Orleans on deck for the second half. Some winnable opportunities. And for Chicago, you know, if Justin Fields comes back, we know he has not won a lot of games, but you have Cole Kamak, you have DJ Moore. I think the Bears are going to win games. I don't think Arizona's the worst team in football anymore. I don't think Carolina's going to be the worst team in football anymore. So we thought going into the year, you know, Chicago may have the first and second picks in the draft. To me, it's looking like they could have the fourth and fifth picks in the draft. And how does that change the Justin Fields outlook? That is the question. Okay, Colts Patriots. This game was ugly. Gardner Minshew struggled, made some key throws down the stretch. Jonathan Taylor, the key touchdown. Obviously, though, the key point from this game in Germany was Mac Jones getting benched on the last drive. Bailey's happy, the fake spike, the interception, and the double coverage, pretty much ending New England season. Now, I picked New England here just like I picked Carolina. Uh, going into week 10 because I thought Bryce Young would have a bounce back game for the Panthers. And I thought Bill Belichick's defense would do just enough to beat Gardner Minshew and the Indianapolis Colts, which they did, except New England did not get in the end zone. And I think it's getting more and more clear if you're New England. They have one for sure winnable game left on their schedule. That's right after their bye. I already have it baked in. 
you know, they're 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 going to beat the Giants, uh, who are just a disaster. The Giants are not going to win a, a, another game this year. They are pretty much uh, tanking for a quarterback. So will New England. I think the first two picks in the draft. We're going to have a preview of it next next week. You know, in week twelve, when the Patriots take on the Giants. Uh, but New England's bad. They need to move off Mac Jones. I don't know what you're going to get for Mac Jones. Probably a third or fourth round pick. I don't know if Mac Jones is a good quarterback. Uh, I think he can be a decent backup to an average starter, but I think he needs a lot of protection. I think he needs a lot of help. You know, the last two years, I think his mind has kind of been eroded by the fact that he has no wide receivers to work with, by the fact that he does not have a great offensive line. That all New England can really do is run that ball with Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott. So I think that affects New England a lot in a lot of different ways. And Bill Belichick coaching Caleb Williams uh, is an interesting proposition. I don't know how that's going to work if New England moves on from Belichick. Who knows? But New England now, which we thought going into the year, the best bet of the year was an easy New England under 7.5 because of their schedule. I thought they would win some games against the likes of Sam Howe, against the likes of Gardner Minshew. Uh, because that's usually what Belichick did, but they couldn't even win those games this year. And so they are flat out getting ready for a quarterback. Then, you guys know I'm based in Cleveland, Ohio. That was the best Browns win of my life. And it includes the playoff game that they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the wild card game three years ago. That was a game where you're down, you know, what was it? 17 to 3, 17 to 6, early pick six, second play of the game. Lamar Jackson goes down, first drive, touchdown. Baltimore's rolling. It looks like they're going to throw the Browns out about 37 to 3. They're even up, you know, two touchdowns, 31 to 17, with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. But this is what we saw out of Baltimore last year. And I'll say it one more time. The Ravens last year were the only team in the NFL to hold a double-digit lead in every single game the first 10 games of the season. Instead of being 8-2, 9-1, 10-0 in that stretch, they ended up going 7-3. That was a sign for concern. Lamar Jackson obviously got hurt. Cincinnati got hot. Bengals won the division. This year, Baltimore became the you know the third least amount of time trailing for 10 games in NFL history, and the two previous were 10-0. And the one behind them is also 10-0. Baltimore, though, is 7-3. Their defense does not know how to close games. And Wyatt Teller and Joe Batonio and the two backup tackles, one being James Hudson, you know, one being Christian, whatever his name was, uh, on the Browns offensive line, along with Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt and Deshaun Watson, who couldn't hit me on this screen if he tried in the first half, then going perfect in the second half. There was a gritty, grinded out, not pretty, but a great W. Sometimes W's don't have to be pretty. Sometimes W's just had to be a W. Baltimore, there's concern going forward, but they do have Cincinnati in a pivotal, maybe potential game of the year situation here in Baltimore Thursday night against Cincinnati. For the Browns now, that wins them up in a great and almost beautiful situation here to go on a run with the back of their schedule not being great, which was Pittsburgh this coming Sunday for Cleveland to get into the playoffs. And that was a game why they substituted out Baker Mayfield for Deshaun Watson because Deshaun Watson made the plays when it mattered. And I was the one sitting up here after the Nick Chubb injury occurred, 
week two in Pittsburgh, Monday Night Football, saying the Browns will re-sign Kareem Hunt, Kareem Hunt, Jerome Ford. They'll be fine in the run game. And boy, were they fine in the, in the run game, wearing down that Baltimore defensive line in the second half on Sunday. Now, I best bet Pittsburgh minus three against Green Bay. They obviously covered. It was exactly how I called it. It was going to be a low-scoring game. Jordan Love was going to struggle, though he was going to make some key plays. Pittsburgh was going to hang around there in the fourth quarter. Kenny Pickett was going to make a couple plays. Pittsburgh was going to barely cover like they do every single week. The Steelers, there's a reason why I have best bet them like out of 10 weeks this year six or seven times because I know exactly what I'm going to get from Pittsburgh, and I also know exactly what I'm going to get out of Green Bay. Jordan Love, inconsistent, right? Bad first half, you know, bad second, excuse me, you know, good first half or or bad first half, good second half or bad second half. It is inconsistent with him uh, at that quarterback position. And then Pittsburgh, I know that they're going to stay in that way. I know Kenny Pickett is going to make one big throw to win the game. And that's why the Steelers now, if they beat Cleveland and Cincinnati beats Baltimore, they'll be in first place in the AFC North, which is unbelievable. Uh, speaking of the AFC North, Joe Burrow, he had a bad fourth quarter, two bad interceptions. Now, one came after a Tyler Boyd drop that would have gave Cincinnati the lead. But we said Jamar Chase, with him being banged up, with T. Higgins not playing, the Cincinnati offense was probably going to look different. And I was worried about this game because this was a big building block game for C.J. Stroud, who, boy, did he deliver when the time was right. Noah Brown, you know, he's out of Ohio State. He was with Dallas for, for a bunch of years. He looked like a pro bowler as opposed to a fifth wide receiver Sunday. And then, obviously, Tank Dell, big game as well. Don't show big game as well. And C.J. Stroud, who I said coming out of Ohio State, I did not love. I did not see him make one tight window throw. Though I did say I thought the best game against that he played in college was against Georgia in his final game, that semifinal game. And he has come in. Not great offensive line, not a lot of weapons. I would say a little bit better than Carolina, but not by much. And even D'Amico Ryans and this Texans organization took that restart from the Deshaun Watson deal to the Davis Mills saga, who is now obviously backing up uh, Deshaun. Or, or excuse me, he was not backing up CJ. Uh, and Houston just went out there and beat Cincinnati flat out. The Bengals almost had a good comeback. Stroud had a bad interception late. But in the end, Joe Burrow and the Bengals could not execute. And we're seeing this this year where Cincinnati, they have moments in the game where they drive both offensively. Uh, they can still make a run at the Super Bowl once they get everybody healthy. But Cincinnati's one of those teams that cannot afford injuries. And when he against out, when Jamar Chase is banged up, they are not the same team. Once again, a pivotal game between Cincinnati Baltimore this Thursday night. And Houston and uh, Jacksonville are coming up in a couple of weeks. Houston now nipping on the tails of Jacksonville in that AFC South division. Within that division, Will Levis, we said he was going to have good days. He was going to have bad days. One of the grants, a great defensive mind of that coach and Todd Bowles. Baker Mayfield played well. Will Weathers cannot do anything. And again, Tennessee. I think Will Weathers can win games. I don't think he's the future for you with the quarterback position. I would have dealt Derek Henry to that Baltimore deal that was reportedly out there at the trade deadline. Tennessee did not. Derek Henry did not get anything going 
And, uh, you know, Tampa won the game 20 to 6. Not I wanted to say, I said I would take Tampa Bay there because they're the home team, but I know what I predicted. Then Josh Dobbs, I said I trust him more than Derek Carr, who ended up getting hurt. Jameis Winston came in, played pretty good in garbage time, and then did what Jameis Winston always does and throws interceptions. This game should not have been as close as it was. Minnesota was dominating the whole game. And all of a sudden, we've said, take a look at Minnesota over the last couple of weeks. They're getting wins against bad opponents. Now they go to Denver, and we'll see Josh Dobbs. A lot of people think this is going to be a bad game. The way Denver's playing, and we'll get to, obviously, the Buffalo disaster on Monday night. The way Josh Dobbs is playing, I'm pretty excited to see how Minnesota and Denver counteract each other this Sunday night on Monday Night Football. Again, Minnesota defeats the Saints 27-19. Now, I said... I thought San Francisco was going to bounce back against Jacksonville, and boy, did they ever. I said, I think the Jags are good. I think that they are a product of being in a bad division, which is getting better, but it's not great there yet. I would not take them over Cincinnati. I would not take them over Baltimore. I would not take them over Kansas City. I would not take them over Miami. I don't think right now I'd even take them over Buffalo, even though they beat Buffalo, that that was on a neutral field in London. I think it really depends on where the game is at when you're talking about them versus Buffalo or them even versus the Chargers. Uh, Trevor Lawrence has not been that generational prospect that we predicted he'd be out of Clemson. He's a very good quarterback. He's a great coach in Doug Peterson, but he you know, is sort of a product of, of his environment where he has to have a very good game against bad opponents where the offensive line can sort of protect him or that Jacksonville defense that does have the most turnovers in the league because that's the way they stop people. They don't force people off the field. They force turnovers and they did not force turnovers against the San Francisco team who was angry with everybody back talking them, them going off a bye. They haven't won a game in a month. That was sort of a buzzsaw there from San Francisco. Again, I think the Jags are still good. I think they're going to win 10-11 games. I think they're going to win the, the AFC South Division. But they met their match there. They're not there yet with San Francisco physically. And that was almost predictable the way San Francisco manhandled Jacksonville on Sunday, 34-3. to Now, this Lions-Chargers game was, again, exactly the way I called it. I bet Detroit minus two and a half. I said it was going to come down to a final kick. It was going to come down to Brandon Staley's defense not being able to make a stop, even though Brandon Staley is a defensive-minded head coach. I said Detroit was not going to be able to stop Justin Herbert. I said I said uh, L.A. was not going to be able to stop Jared Goff, who played a really good game. Amon Ross St. Brown, another great game. Lions were able to run the ball with not only Gibbs, but David Montgomery as well. Dan Campbell, very aggressive, going for it on fourth down. Offensive minded that coach, using his offensive line to his advantage. Lions play bully ball against Joey Bosa and Coyle Mag, who for some reason in big games in Brandon Staley's scheme cannot make plays. And it's exactly what we predicted. And the uh, Detroit Lions covered the two and a half. And exactly what I predicted in the Arizona game. I picked the Cardinals in the upset over the Falcons. I said Kyler Murray was going to play well. I don't judge Arthur Smith. Taylor Heineke was benched for Desmond Ritter, who did have a rushing touchdown. Now, Atlanta, they did get Bijan Robinson, you know, a little bit going, not as much as I would like him to be used. And there's this whole conversation in the NFL sometimes about, do you have too many weapons? We hear this sometimes about San Francisco. We hear it sometimes about Philadelphia. 
We don't hear it a lot about Atlanta, but I think it's a case of Arthur Smith has three good backs he wants. B. John Robinson, Tyler Algier, Cordell Patterson. They have, you know, Drake wanted a receiver. They have Kyle Pitts. They have Janu Smith, who has a relationship with Arthur Smith, going back to his dates in Tennessee. I don't think Arthur Smith knows how to use his personnel. I think he wants to use all those backs. He doesn't know how to incorporate B. John Robinson that well. It's a very short passing game. It's not timed out shots. It's not a great generative West Coast offense because he doesn't know who to get the ball to with and when. Looking back at it, I know they dropped to Kyle Pitts, and I know they dropped to Drake London. If I was Atlanta and B. John Robinson was the best player on the board, i get it. They needed more help on defense. Now, I would have probably gone, you know, on the defensive side of the ball now, looking back at it. I know there's a lot of times that they're going to take B. John Robinson because Arthur Smith, going back to his days in Tennessee again, loves using the running backs with Derrick Henry. But there are sometimes situations where you have too many pieces in one offense. B. John Robinson is not fitting in Atlanta with those pieces. It's why I didn't trust Desmond Ritter, Taylor Heineke, the quarterback position this year. It's why I was not a big fan of Atlanta. And predictably, Kyler Murray played well. And Arizona looks like they're going to move forward with him. I think it's a mistake with Kyler Murray's injury history. So if he, if he can stay healthy, again, we all know he's a special quarterback. Joey Schneider last week when he was on the show argued with me that he thought you can get a fourth or a fifth round pick for Kyler. I still think with the quarterback premiums of this year's draft and with Kyler Murray's ability, you could probably get a first or second round pick for the young quarterback. Now, Seattle, Washington, exactly what I thought. I said Seattle was going to win at home. I said, um, you know, Sam Howell was not going to play great for the commanders, which he did not. I said Seattle was probably not going to cover, which they did not. And again, kind of a weird game, low-scoring defensive game. Both offenses picked it up in the fourth quarter. Seattle only won at 29-26. to Washington, I said Sam Howe is going to give you good weeks. He's going to give you bad weeks. He's going to give you about seven to eight wins a year. He's never going to get you over the hump. And my biggest takeaway from the Seattle-Washington game is Seattle cannot hang with San Francisco. And that Tommy DeVito just got blasted. Uh, but by the Cowboys. Again, I picked Dallas to cover 16 and a half. There's no reason to talk about this game. As I talked about with New England, Giants are tanking for a quarterback. They're probably going to have the number one pick in the draft, which scares me as an Eagles fan, Brian Dable and uh, Kale Williams. But that's the direction we are heading. The other New York team was on Sunday Night Football. I picked Vegas plus, plus one and a half because I said right down the stretch, Vegas was going to run the ball with Josh Jacobs. Ain't no Kyle was going to play well just enough. Devontae Adams going to have just enough of a big game. And the Raiders' defense, which has played a lot better under uh, Antonio Pierce's leadership, was going to get the big stop on Zach Wilson, and that's exactly what happened. When the Jets were moving the ball at will in the first half, they kicked field goals, not touchdowns. The Jets in their last 27 quarters have only scored one offensive touchdown, and that was the incredible Bryce Young 50, or Bryce uh, Brees Hall, oh, excuse me, not Brees Young, Brees Hall's 50-yard catch and run that game against the Giants, which was a merciful game to watch uh, a few weeks ago. Listen, we know Zach Wilson is not the answer. Even though he does make these incredible no-look passes like the one he made to Lazard, even though he somehow got that El Mary off in the last play of the game, we know he's got the biggest arm talent in the world. But Zach Wilson 
has some Jamarcus Russell-esque qualities. Great arm talent, but he cannot see the field. And Aaron Rodgers is there, and Rodgers trying to teach him, and he looks a little bit like Aaron Rodgers on every single throw he makes. But it's the processing of the information, and the Jets cannot move the football. Garrett Wilson's frustrated. Alan Lazard's frustrated. Teams are keying in on Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall. They're not getting anything going in the run game, and this is just who the Jets are. Aaron Rodgers says he's going to come back by mid-December. I think the Jets are going to be out of it by then. Who knows if that's actually true, because we know how Aaron Rodgers likes to lie about things. But in the end here, Vegas, believe it or not, after the firing of Josh McDaniels, 2-0 with Antonio Pierce, and even after the losses to Tyson Bajan and co., they are in contention for a wild card spot in a loaded AFC. And speaking of a loaded AFC, teams in the AFC West, teams in the AFC East, Josh Allen plays like a wild pony again. Denver, whoever since that week three debacle when they gave him 70 points to Miami, their defense are playing a lot better, and they created a lot of turnovers. From the first play to the last play of the game, Denver outplayed Buffalo practically the whole game and should have won this game by 14 points. For Buffalo, something is not working. They are not the same since Brian Dable left to go to the Giants. Josh Allen's a lot more turnover dependent. I don't know if it's Ken Dorsey's play calling. I don't know if Ken Dorsey's not coaching him hard. I don't know what it is. There's some Carson Wentz right now to Josh Allen, which we saw 2020 Carson Wentz in in Philadelphia was not the same ever since he got his head banged up. Josh Allen has not been the same since the start of last year. It's turnovers, it's hero ball, it's just chucking the ball. They don't have a run game. They don't have an offensive line. I don't know what it is about Buffalo because Josh Allen has some of the most talent in the world. He could be a top three, top five quarterback. It's why we predict Buffalo to be Super Bowl contenders every single year because of him, because of Diggs, because of the addition of Kincaid, because of what they add on the defense side of the ball. And Sean McDermott last night could not even get the field goal unit right out there. They had 12 men on the field. It was a massive mistake by Sean Payton. I was saying kick the field goal on third down. You never want to rush the field goal unit. That special team is going to cost you the game. It should have cost Denver the game. Even though Russell Woods is playing better, Denver, oh, like the Jets, cannot score in the red zone. But unlike the Jets, they're winning games, and they have gotten themselves along with Vegas back in the AFC wildcard contention. And Buffalo may need to run the table or lose just one more game to make the postseason. It's going to make it very hard. You know, James Cook fumbled last night. He was in the doghouse. I think that the culture by Buffalo was built by Sean McDermott, but I don't think he's a championship-level coach. I think he's a, he's an intermediate, good starter for a team that needs to be on, on the up and up, but I don't think he can take you to the Super Bowl and win it. I think Buffalo needs a new head coach. I think they need an offensive head coach that will coach Josh Allen hard. Ben Johnson, the Lions head coach that fixed Jared Goff, and we know Goff has not thrown very many interceptions this year, comes to mind as the perfect head coach for me for Buffalo. So in the money line in week 10, I ended up going 9-5. and five. The games I missed were Carolina, New England, Baltimore, Buffalo, and then uh, Cincinnati as well. My 
out of my five best bets, I went four or five this week. I hit Pittsburgh minus three against Green Bay. Hit Detroit minus two and a half against the Chargers. Hit Dallas minus 16 and a half against the Giants. Hit Vegas put one and a half against the Jets. All we needed was for Josh Allen and Buffalo to cover. But the turnovers last night caught us a perfect week in best bets. I am now 102 and 48 in the money line going into week 11, as well as going into week 11 in best bets. I am 32 for 49 with one push on the year. And that'll do it for this edition of Brandon's Roll. When we get back on Thursday, we are going to be discussing NFL week 11, my best bets and money line predictions as we get into a critical Super Bowl rematch between the Eagles and Chiefs. Again, I thank you guys so much for listening to Brands World on this Tuesday. Have a great day, and we'll see you then. Peace.